Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to another special edition of the Roger Rapport podcast. Today we are joined by a controversial guest, I think some of you would say, uh, but I'm delighted he's came. That is former Sunderland player Lee Clark. He's kindly given up his time to come to the Roger Rapport studios and talk about his time at Sunderland, uh, discuss everything, the fallout from the end, even a bit on his managerial career at the end. So first things first, Lee, how are you? What are you up to these days? I'm very good, thanks. Uh Thank you for the invitation to come and speak and maybe uh, right a few wrongs um, and put the, the true story out there about my time at Sunderland. Um, at the moment, I'm just enjoying a bit of family time. There's, there's jobs in the management game that I've turned down. There's jobs that I've been after that I haven't got and I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. So to go back in, not desperately pushing for it, but if something uh, arises... Um, you know that if it shows an interest, uh, I could I could uh, try and go for it. You did ten years, haven't you? Ten years in the managerial. Game. Yeah, and it's it's a it's changing all the time. Um, you know the the way the game's gone in terms of uh, the players and the agents and and how the game works. It's a there's a big change around, so it's becoming more of a head coach role. Um, at all levels, really, and then the rest uh, is done by by other people. So, in terms of finances, which I would prefer that way. There's been obviously been times that we'll talk about a bit later. I mean, managerial career where it doesn't work out there. Uh, so, before we get going uh, properly, uh, we want to talk. We're gonna have to start with Newcastle, and we don't often talk about Newcastle on this podcast. But for <laughs> you, we'll have to start there. So, you came through Newcastle's academy, yeah, um, local lad from Wall's End, and. Jumped to 1997, Keegan's left. But what what was the circumstances around you leaving? Uh, well, actually, time? before before Kevin left in the January, which was FA Cup, uh, Peter Reid uh, in the January window when the club was still in the Premier League, but they were fighting for their survival. Just 96, 97? Yeah, the, in the January transfer window leading up to that. Paul was obviously Paul Bracewell was Peter's assistant and uh, any staff. And they tried to sign me in the January, which I I didn't really want to be moving. I didn't want to go anywhere then in the January. I know that they'd agreed some sort of figure or roundabout figure when you castle that they'd be looking for. But I, I it wasn't the right time for me and then it wasn't the right time for the club, especially, you know, within a couple of days of the window opening, 
Kevin Keegan had quit. So Kenny Daglish took over. And during that period from January to the end of the season, there was talk of us signing an extension to my contract. But the, the crucial thing for me was wanting to play every single week. And we had such a big squad and quality that that wasn't always the case. I went on a run of games in January where I was playing really well. And on top of that, I was starting to score a few goals. I'd scored three in three games. And then we came to an FA Cup tie against Nottingham Forest. And I got left out because Peter Beardsley was coming back from from an injury I think and it wasn't the fact that it was Peter because I uh, I think of him as one of the best ever players if not the best ever player I played with so that wasn't the case it was if I wasn't going to keep my place in the team after doing so well it was going to be difficult for us going forward so I basically made my mind up then that I was moving on come the summer and when the when the transfer fee got set there was uh, a few clubs Manchester City under Frank Clark uh James Smith, Derby County, uh, Sunderland, um, you know, and one or two others, uh, even even Middlesbrough, had a, had a go as well. So and and an opportunity as well to move up north, Celtic at the time was sniffing. But so I decided to speak to one or two of the clubs, and to be truthful, I only uh, out of courtesy, only decided to speak to Peter out of courtesy, Peter Reid, because he he had kept in touch with us, he kept pestering us about. Uh, coming to Sunderland and I didn't have any intentions of coming but I would have, you know as I said respect for him and how he'd done things I said that would I would come to, come to meet him and I met him in Manchester and uh, after two or three hours um, talking football also sharing a glass of champagne here or there <laughs> um, I decided that he was he was the right man for me I think that's what I picked I picked the manager picked the person who I felt would be good for me football and career and obviously it was I didn't realise how big it would be even though you know I'm from Newcastle I'm a Newcastle fan I didn't realise how big and how much of an impact it would make uh, around the region really that I'd gone from Newcastle to Sunderland so when that decision was made and it was announced um, we, we decided to do the press conference very quickly and uh, the day of the press conference things escalated Peter did say in his conversations he would get us into the England squad I didn't think he'd realise how quickly because the weekend I signed for uh, Sunderland uh, I was announced in the England squad for Le Tour Moore in 1997 so um, I thought I thought he was a good manager I didn't realise how good <laughs> <laughs> I mean personally I couldn't imagine playing over 200 games for Sunderland than moving to Newcastle I just for me I just couldn't do it so what was your initial reaction when you hear Sunderland? Because I mean, if, if I was in your position, I'd be like, "I'm not going there. I'm not." Any well, that, that was there. that was my initial reaction, and and it was out of courtesy. And I had a great relationship with Paul Bracewell as well. I knew Bobby Saxon very well. Bobby had been my assistant manager at Newcastle uh, under Jim Smith. Paul had been a, a mentor of mine when I was a young player, playing alongside him at Newcastle. So, and obviously, I'd seen from afar the enthusiastic and inspirational how Peter was you know with these players and when I got to meet him that come through massively and it was a football decision I I love football I love and I, I also I had just we'd had my, um, my first child Jack and we're both from the northeast me and my wife so that played a factor in it as well of course but what was a, a lot of the things was the plans going forward it was obviously it's going to be the first 
season in the stadium of light so they took us over to there which was still a building site but it was coming near to completion very very impressive stadium you know I thought well this would be a great place to come and play your football I knew of the plans going forward um, which unfortunately you know because I left so quickly I didn't get the chance to use of the Academy of Light as well so I, I knew that they were building to be a Premier League football club they just suffered relegation but the plans that the, the manager had, the players that he wanted to keep from the previous season and the signings that he was looking to make. I thought, well, yeah, let's let's go for it. It could be exciting. And there's the rest to see as history. Were you ever worried that Sunderland fans wouldn't accept you once you'd signed? Well, I knew that I had to win them over by how I played. I think uh, it was all about, and I had confidence in my ability that I could deliver the level of performance that was required to make them uh, appreciate that I was there and I was I was one of their players and thankfully, you know, um, the rewards I got, the, the individual rewards I got from supporters and people like that was, I must have been doing something right on the pitch for them. From, you touched on how long it took you to make the decision, but from start to finish, when you first meet Peter Reid... Was it a case of on that day you decided Sunderland or did you go home and, you know, have to No, I decided. I decided um, that that was the club I was signing for. I shook hands with Peter before we left the meeting to say that I was going to sign and myself or my agent informed the other clubs that I was I was going to go to Sunderland. So the deal was completed very, very quickly, to be honest. And what was the one thing Peter said in that conversation that made you want there to... There was lots of different things, but it was the fact that I was going to Build, build a team around myself, the players that he was keeping, the way he wanted to play the game, the facilities, the infrastructure, the club, um, all those type of things. And and obviously, I wasn't going to have to leave and uproot my family. Um, it, it Later on my career, I did that and it didn't become a problem. It wasn't as big as a problem as I would have thought, but at that time, it wasn't the right thing. And so everything... It ticked all the boxes for me. The only one, it it wasn't ticking in terms of where I was from, how I was brought up, mm-hmm. me family, me wife's family. Uh, we laugh about it. They know that um, you know it's a short career, and you've got to look to to get the best you can out of it. Did you ever lose any friends over the? Moon? I didn't lose friends. No, we had we had you know. There's been instances where you know me youngest lad Jack we, we bought him the Sunderland kit and we had him dressed and I took my father-in-law's and uh, my father-in-law's answer was to, to his grandson I love you I love your son with all my heart but you're not allowed in my house with a red and white kit on so things like listen and I used to still go and watch Newcastle uh, play if they were playing midweek and we didn't have a game at Sunderland I'd go to St James's and watch the game and there was friendly banter I never got out of hand never yeah. got where people were like abusing us or anything like that, they understood there wasn't an issue, um, and it was the same the other way on. I never, I never suffered any kind of uh, anything from from the Sunderland fans whatsoever either. On the other hand, okay, we're gonna jump towards your actual Sunderland career now. So you alluded to it before, but we moved into the stadium. Like, I mean, what was it like that first season? Uh, playing there with all you know, Kevin Phillips, Niall Quinn, and everything else. What was it like? It was it was fantastic. The way the team was set up, the, the players were had in in all different. It, it was just like the perfect team, really. The perfect squad where 
round pegs in round holes and people who were very good at their jobs playing in those positions. Um, we had, obviously, you know, we set out as a 4-4-2. The manager always talked about we're playing high-tempo football, especially at the stadium and like to get, to get the crowd lifted, which we did on most occasions. You know, at that time, it was a championship club, but it was still in the top six to eight supported clubs in Britain at the time, which was a phenomenal achievement when you're a championship club. And um, I felt most of the time we used to have the fans on the edge of their seat with the football we played. You had the big man and little man combination up front, but, you know, you're doing a disservice to Big Quinny to think that he was just a a six-foot-five, hide up in the air and you'll head it type of man. He had a fantastic touch. He used to love having the ball at his feet and the quick interplay we used to get between the likes of myself and Niall and Kevin and Alan Johnson and Nicky Summerby. You know, when you think like young Michael Bridges couldn't couldn't get in the team, he was an outstanding young mm-hmm. player and he was where, he was where, plan so. B, yeah, <laughs> off the bench. And it, so that tells you the, the quality we had in the, in the group. Um, full backs bombing on Chrissy, Megan and, and and Mickey, um, and 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 solid defenders. We had we had experienced players at the back. When I first got there, Richard Ord, massive Sunland lad, and 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 Andy Melville. And then obviously Darren Williams came through and Jody Craddock. So we had good combinations there. And then obviously my uh, my. Uh, Bouncer really was was, was ballie if there was any issues. I remember I used to just always say it, it was that um, whenever he won the ball, make sure I was uh, a couple of yards from him. And he never used to say it that politely, by the way, but uh, that was the words to that effect. And um, so he could just get it to me and we could get off on our attacks. And um, and I like to think that I complimented him. And never, if ever I got targeted and I got kicked, just ballie would just make sure that I told him which number or whoever had done it and, there might have been repercussions. Obviously, Alex Ray as well, who was an outstanding player, could do most things box to box. Great lad. I said, we, we had a great. You know, all the successful teams have been involved in, and it, it, people might get sick of hearing it who've never been involved. But it's the camaraderie you have. We had a great group of lads. We were constantly, you know, taking taking the mick out of each other. The it was laugh a minute on the training ground, but when we had to do things seriously, we got down and work. But it, it was a great, uh, how well we got on off the pitch showed how well we, we done things on the pitch, you know. I'm going to talk about the playoff final in a minute, but that season we finished third. Do you think we deserved to finish higher? I mean, I would have thought. Well, we went on a ridiculous run, I think, from the end of October till the end of the season. Because uh, we were a little bit stop-start from the start. We're getting decent results then, we'd, we'd, we'd throw it. A, a disappointing result, you know. We go to Redden and got, I think, we got thumped four nil. We were awful on the day, and um, but it went from October to the end of the season where we really clicked and uh, we just missed out. And it it just sums up the you know the situation. You finish so far ahead of the rest in the playoffs, but that's what they're there for. That we knew the rules, the excitement, we were confident, and um, I can't, I can never. Rewatch it. It's always talked about as the best ever playoff final, and it gets rerun and shown many, yeah. many times. And I never watch it back because you never seen it back. In football terms, it was the the worst feeling of one of. The, I lost the playoff final as a manager with Huddersfield in those two times, wasn't it? Yeah, those two incidents are the worst I've ever felt on a football pitch. 
So that that game itself, um, I know, you know, four four. It was a ridiculous game. But how did it feel when Mickey Gray misses that penalty? And what's what do you at that time think? Well, you're just gutted for Mickey because if if ever you wanted someone to to be the hero of a game like that, you wanted it to be Mickey for Sunderland. He's red and white through and through. Loves the club, and um, you know that if you if you remember. Kevin was the main penalty taker, but if he wasn't there, I used to take them. And we were both off the pitch in the penalties. Uh, Kevin had got an injury. And then I'd, when we went 4-3 up and there was about 30 seconds to go, I, I thought I'd had cramp and Quinny come across to try and stretch, but I'd actually pulled my calf. <laughs> so Quinny was trying to stretch my leg off thing that was cramp and it was a it was a pulled calf muscle, so I had to come off. But I thought the game was wrapped up. We only had 30, 40 seconds, with a little bit of added time. And then obviously they got that equaliser again to me, and then it it went to the to, to the lottery, didn't it? And even then they couldn't be separated. It went round again, and unfortunately for Mickey um, and the, everybody involved, uh, you know, he, he missed the penalty, and um, it was a horrible couple of days. We still we were stopping off in Peterborough to hopefully have some celebrations up to get promoted and. Peter, the manager, said we're still going to do the same thing. We've got nothing to be ashamed of and what we've done that season. And uh, it was very quiet for a while. And then obviously we'd had a few beers and then things started perking up. But then the day after, for a couple of days after, it was it was awful. And fell for Mickey and you know made sure, I, I think we all stuck together. We made sure he was all right. And, um, and he was. And he showed what a, not only is it, a fantastic player. He had a great character because obviously come back stronger again. The season. We did as a group. We came back stronger again as as the the following season. And that that day, that morning, how does it feel knowing you're going to be at Wembley? There's going to be what well, I think it was eighty thousand people there. Massive Sunderland. Then I mean, yeah, I mean how it, do you deal with that psychologically? Well, it's it's what you play football for. It's what you dream of, isn't it? So he has your opportunity. Full house at the the one of the most iconic stadiums in the world. Um, um, but you also temper that with the with the pressure that is on the game. It's classed as the the, the most expensive one-off game in football, world football, because what the rewards are, and uh, and who we are playing for, your supporters who've been lucky enough to get there, the ones who unfortunately are back here in Sunderland watching the game on TV, and everyone involved with the club, the the, the directors and their wives and kids and all the staff that work there. Because most of the people in football clubs are supporters of that club, so and you, 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 what you would do in those ninety minutes or one hundred and twenty minutes makes them feel, and they were just as down as us, you know. It was, uh, and I think that's part of the reason why it hurts so much, because you know that so many people are willing you to do well. Niall Quinn had said that he'd sort of at the end of that game said, "Right, it's not going to happen next year. We're going to go up." You know what actually did he say? Well, we all just thought that the conversations that we had in the dressing room, in between the the feeling of just just so it was horrible. It's hard to put into words, but we were determined that we're not going to be in that scenario where it does become a lottery. It does. It's not on the, the most consistent team. It's like a cup. It's it's a mini cup competition, and you get a bit of luck and. You know, we could have went out. You know, we remember we lost the first leg of the semi-final, and things didn't. If things hadn't worked out, 
at Stadium at Light, we mightn't even have got the chance to get there. So, yeah, we're determined. We knew that if we had started the season the way we went from October to the end, we would have won the league. Mm-hmm. There was no team that we worried about. There was no better. We weren't sitting in the dressing room and I don't think the manager was ever sitting thinking, I wish I had them players from there. I wish I had them players from there. So, we... Uh, we we just made sure that we we cracked on and and the pre season was strong. I missed quite a bit of pre season. I'd had a double hernia operation, which I had to put off the previous season for the last few months, just to get through. And uh, so I'd had a double hernia, so I missed the first few weeks. I actually only played one pre season friendly, which was the last one against Hartlepool down at the Victoria Stadium. Then, obviously, a week later, half an hour into the first game of the season, I broke my leg. So, but I, I made a quick. In clean recovery the club were brilliant how they looked after me um, behind the scenes the medical team the, the board of directors anything that I needed because actually when I broke my leg my family were away on holiday so I was left to me on devices for a bit so the, the, and the manager and the staff the way they looked after us was superb and I was determined to get back as quickly as possible and, and stronger than ever so got back in the October it took me a while to it was Everton in the League Cup. Was it Everton? Down here. We won on penalties. Right. And then, uh, well, that that's what happened. And then I um, I think I started a couple of games. And the first couple of games were quite all right for us in terms of my level of performance. I think that was off on just playing off adrenaline, really. But then, because I didn't play a lot of reserve games in my recovery and my rehab. And, um, so, and then I petered out a little bit. And I was, for about three or four games, I was... I wasn't playing at the level I wanted myself to be at and then it just kicked on again and we went we, we started storming and we, we started flying through through the table again and obviously at the top for most of it and um, ironically enough uh, we got promoted at Berry, yep. Gig Lane um, 5-2 and then uh, won the league at Oakwell was that right? And me and Ken Phillips so. scored. Yeah, yeah it, was on, it was on the telly. I think yeah, it might be a that, yeah. Friday. So, yeah. so yeah, so um, that that erased all the horrible and awful memories we had from this previous season. The way we'd done it, we went up in style. We went up uh, in a, playing in a fashion that excited the the fans, and that was told by the numbers that were coming through the turnstiles. I want to touch one final thing on the the playoff season. Um, the Sheffield United game mm-hmm. in the semi-final. Was that one of the best atmospheres you'd been in? Because it's often heralded as... Electric. I think they they put, they put give us the belief. Because they could have come with a, a bit of an apprehension about them, a bit nervousness. But from that first whistle, and the, as I said to you, the manager's last message was always to start with a high tempo, be on the front foot, play in the opposition's half. And uh, from walking out that night, the atmosphere was electric, and they they gave us that extra belief. I think the fans that they were right behind us, and they were going to give everything they could to try and help us get the results. And um, we've done we've done it, and I think they they played a massive part in that. Is that one of your best memories at Sunderland? Uh, or is there another one? That I had sticks out? I had many. I had many. I I, I loved. I loved. You know, the two years I had in terms of playing terms were fantastic. And for me personally, but also some of the some of the rep- the games were played in, some of the football were played that season, them seasons, uh, the style, the goals, uh, 
out, outstanding, really outstanding. Uh, Kevin Phillips, Niall Quinn, obviously we did touch on them a little bit before, but they were phenomenal together. But what were they like to play with? And were you surprised when they did get in the Premier League how good they were together in that first season? Not at all. I wasn't surprised at all. They were a class act. Could see. Um, Niall was the experienced man who everyone knew about, but as I said at the start, got pigeonholed as just a big target man and was anything but that. Had a t- magnificent first touch, brought people into play well, was very intelligent. Don't get me wrong, could use his height and his head, but didn't just wasn't just a big lump who would flick the ball on or would direct passes with his head or direct his, his opportunities of scoring with his head into the goal. It was great for a midfield player like me who liked to break lines and get beyond the strikers because if a ball was played in either those two, Kevin or or Niall and Michael when he came on, they had the ability to 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 slot them little passes through for me to make those runs or if I was in the final third, for them to make me look good with, with my passes because of their quality of their movement. So when they got to the Premier League, I would have been actually surprised if they hadn't a, done as well as they had because I knew the qualities that they possessed the two of them they were just the perfect foils for each other you talk about you talk about you know people complimenting each other they they, they were absolutely perfect and they had a magnificent uh, respect for each other Kevin looked up to Quinny in every sense of the word <laughs> but certainly you know and, and, and Quinny loved playing alongside Kevin and, and got as much enjoyment out of supplying some of Kevin's goals and he did score himself he was, he was very uh, unselfish he was a proper team player we had Kevin Ball on the podcast last week and uh, when I asked him to sum up you in one word he said partner so what was your relationship like with him off and on the pitch very strong obviously he's Mr Sunderland so when I got there I think he probably looked and thought black and white so and so <laughs> but I think he quickly found out that um, I didn't when it came to doing my best and working hard every day and he's seen the efforts I put in on the training pitch and what I'd done in a match day for for the club, uh, those allegiances were put to one side and I was there to do my best and, as we said, we ended up getting a strong friendship that's still strong now and uh, he was he was the governor for me, really. He looked after us in every sense of the word. Our families became close. Um Later on in the careers, when we when we moved down south and we shared a flat together in in West London, and when we played for Fulham together, so um, yeah, it was he was he was a great guy for me. I, I got to know a Paulie, you know. Obviously, the pre-season we had a couple of trips, and then we had Ajax to open the stadium, if you remember. And Paulie was Mister Motivator, and obviously, as we lined up in the dressing room, ready to go into the tunnel. One of his traits was to to grab the the dressing room door and give it a few swings. And Ajax game was to iron out any mm-hmm. any issues at the stadium. So as he grabbed the door and started swinging it back and forth to 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 motivate us and him, the door came off in his hands. So <laughs> that was there. Uh, that was me thinking. Well, I know what I've got to be doing for this guy if I'm uh, <laughs> gonna win him over. Nah, but he was he was brilliant. He was. Um, it delights me now to see that uh, the new regime at the club are trying to bring him back in into a more uh, important, inclusive role because he needs he needs to be uh, right in the middle of everything that's going on in the resurgence of the club because he, not only what he's done in his career here and what he's learned, but the type of character he is. 
he can help the club get back to the level it was at. Are you surprised he was never offered the, the manager's job permanently? He had a couple of spells caretakers. I do, yeah. Because I think he would have, there would have been no more passionate man ever been in that manager's chair. Because I know he's not from the area, but he's become to love he's the club. Honorary. He is. Yeah. He is, without a shadow of a doubt. So um, I'm disappointed for him. Hey, there's still time. Who knows? Yeah, you know. I think everyone wants Jack Ross to stay because he's doing a terrific job. But when you're a manager who's working, even though the club is Premier League in terms of its size and its infrastructure, the reality is they're in League One. So if he keeps doing well, the manager, there will be clubs out there looking in the, in the future to think, well, could they poach him away? But I think it would take a, a ridiculous job to get him away from here because I think he sees what's uh, what's ahead. Yeah, big potential. Absolutely. Uh, final thing really on uh, that season, we finished with 105 points. Um was the record until I think Redden broke it a few years later. So where does that rank in your career accomplishments? Uh, up there with the very best. I mean, I've won it three times with three different clubs and in those three different times we've broke all kinds of records and we've play, we've won it by playing magnificent football and that year with Sunderland was no different. So it's, it, it's, it's got to be right up there. Obviously, um, never got to play it in the Premier League for the club and obviously I know I want to speak about that later That's but <laughs> um, it was it was um, nah it's, it, it's got to be right up there when I did get to the Premier League we had, with the other clubs obviously got the chance to, to, to compete in UEFA Cup which is now Europa League and the Champions League as well so obviously they're standout times for me as well but uh, no in terms of what was achieved and how we'd done it it's it's right up there so we're going to talk now about you leaving. Um, I mean, we all know about obviously the the t-shirt incident. So before we talk about that, um, did you know that you were going to be leaving at the end of the season? Well, yeah, because we, we basically had the league wrapped up, we, we, and it, it didn't get made official till obviously Barry yeah, and then was done until and, about but, September. Yeah, but we we were so far away, and, and we had the the, the double headed semi final against Leicester in the League mm-hmm. Cup, if you remember. And the second leg was at the Stadium of Light, and. I remember after the game, I was disappointed because obviously we'd lost the opportunity to get to a cup final. Um, I was disappointed, but I knew, and and I and I believe I'm I'm an open and honest man, and I didn't want to go behind the manager's back for what he'd done, and and, and I wanted to be honest with the club. And after that game, actually on the night of the game, I, I knocked on the manager's door and went in to see him. Andy Gray was his big pal, and he was working for Sky that evening, and I just. I, he asked us if he want if Andy if I wanted Andy to leave, and I says no, Andy can stay. And I just listen. I just I need to speak to you. Just you know, it's not possible for me to play here next season, um, because you know Newcastle are in the same league. I kind of I kind of bring myself to do it, and I can it, and I wouldn't want to go out on the pitch and not give absolutely everything. If I was ever put in that situation, would. Would I change a habit of a lifetime and go out there and, and not give everything? I don't know, because I would I didn't want to put myself in that position. And a typical really cool comment was get out of my office, but not in those yeah. nice ways. You'll you're not you're not going anywhere. You you we're we're going again next season and it's gonna be built around yourself and a few others. Um so that was that really. Um and then when people hear that they probably think, well, 
it, the, the t-shirt incident was probably even more of a setup and it, it actually wasn't because when we get on to it I'll, 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 te- I'll, I'll tell you this the, the full story but was it bittersweet that would re- achieve promotion and you knew that you weren't going to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labour and the team's labour in the Premier League of course yeah of course I was sad because I didn't I didn't really particularly want it to be like that I, I, you know and as I said if if I did stay in, in, in when those games came around I don't think in my heart of hearts deep down if I'm walking onto the pitch I would have because it's just not me it's not how I'm going to do things One, it's like when I even when I've joined in later in life as a manager or a coach in a five-a-side in training I've still lost my head because I want to win and so that's my personality. So I'm thinking, if it got to that stage, would have would would it have been like? I I just I didn't want it to be in my mind like that. I didn't want to think people to people. And if I had a, had a an indifferent game in those games, um, had I not been given anything so but my best, I, I didn't want to shortchange the fans who'd been fantastic. It was for two years, so. It was just. It was a tough one for us. It was. It was a tough one psychologically in terms of how I was going to change it, you know. And as history says, as you know, the, the way it happened um, certainly doesn't sit sit well with myself. What would have happened if we'd drawn Newcastle in a cup competition? I mean, that must have crossed your mind at some point. Of course. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, as I said. Knowing the person I am and know how I go about my job and 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 how meticulous I was, I used to even, you know, if if ever I'd had a bad training session, it used to hurt us. I used to drive home from training and think, well, that'll never happen again. And why did why was I so poor today in training? Or why was me passing off? Or why was me touch not so good? Or why was me finishing? Or whatever. So I, hey, listen, it, it's what was in my mind, but. When it comes to reality, would that have been the case? I don't think it might have been because it, I, I'm not that type of person. I, I've had many, many poor football matches in my time, in my career. But what what I've never had is someone say it was in any particular game that I never give anything but my best. And um, so I, I don't think my personality would have allowed that. But I just I was in a predicament where I would have been in that position. So, can you talk us through the day of the FA Cup final? So, did Sunderland know you were going to be going? The manager knew I asked permission like I had the previous year. And the manager granted his permission, but obviously in no uncertain terms, tell us that didn't want us to wear any colours. Obviously. Um, and it was we made a bit of a weekend of it. And um, so, we, you know, socialising with, with Newcastle fans, friends... And then on the Saturday morning before the cup final, um, we, we we grabbed a black cab and and got dropped off at a pub in Baker Street that was owned by a, a, a Newcastle fan. And as I got out the black cab, a few guys come across and you're thinking like they want pictures or whatever, and they slip this T-shirt over the top of my head. And if you see from the photograph that was in the media, there's like me with a cricket hat on, like pointing is it, if it pointing at the T-shirt? Is it to say what's this? So within about the t-shirt being on and me looking up within about 30 seconds because I'm not even sure if camera phones were around then I it's don't like think like a white green picture it was uh, there was just, you could just see our camera lenses 
going off so quick. And then I, I took the T-shirt off, went to the bar and stand with my father-in-law, and who was a staunch black and white. And he, he even said, oh, that, that could come back and give you a bit of bother, that. And I said, do you think so? And he says, yeah, he says, we're not, we're not too happy with that, like... And it, nothing, nothing happened for a few, and it was about a week before pre-season. I was going to a, the Northumberland Plate race meeting, and got a call to say from the local paper to say that they'd received this photograph and they were going to use it. So we, uh, I had to um, speak to, to to my agent and, and explain what had happened, and we obviously had to speak to the club. But it, to go back to the the day. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there think I was walking around London with the T-shirt on and ridiculing people with this T-shirt. And that wasn't the case. It was on for a matter of 30, 40 seconds and then the photographs were taken. And uh, So who was it who put the T-shirt on? There was a few Newcastle fans, four, four or five. I, I knew a couple of the guys. That's why I thought, oh, they were just coming over to say hello. And then when it got whipped on and then it was a huge error of judgment and it's, it's now I'm more obviously I've been in management I'm more mature and it's 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 the biggest regret of my career because you know I never got and I never get the welcome I get back at my other two clubs uh, because of that incident and you you don't expect to because you're biting the hand that feeds you really so if Lee Clark was managing Lee Clark then so you right now are managing that incident what would you have done I wouldn't have done anything different well, to be honest with you, Pete, I still wanted us to stay. When we went in with my agent to see the chairman, Bob Murray, uh, for these talks, and he obviously put across how unhappy he was and disappointed by what had happened. Peter was on a, in the meeting via a conference call because he was in the south of France. I think he might have been at a, on a scouting mission or or doubled it up as a holiday, and he was adamant that I still wasn't going anywhere and the fixtures had come out and he was... He didn't say it as politely as this, but he was saying that I'd be in the team at Stamford Bridge in the first game of the season. So, But then, obviously, as he went off the call, the chairman reiterated to myself and my agent that that couldn't be possible. I wasn't probably in a position where I could turn the fans back on my side, and we understood that. And uh, we, we had to move on. So was that the moment that it was decided that you were going to move on... Um, which were the teams that were interested and, and why did you end up at Fulham? Well, I went to Fulham before, for Paul, Paul Bracewell. He was he just got the manager's job and uh, he contacted us. And I never, ever thought I'd leave the North, the northeast for football reasons. And I never even thought even more that I'd end up going to London because when I played down there and we played on a Saturday afternoon, we'd go down on a Friday and I'd go for a walk on the Saturday morning. I just felt the place was huge, far mm-hmm. too big Don't. for a northern lad. So when I ended up taking the opportunity to go there, and it was very many reasons for going there were so similar to the Sunderland situation in that I seen the ambition of the club, obviously the wealth of the owner, and what he was doing with the football club, and um, the training facilities. The stadium was obviously getting redeveloped, but there was a lot of restrictions on it in terms of because of where it is in the middle of London and. Uh, but most importantly, the ambition of the owner and what he was trying to do with the football team, and they just took Chris Coleman from the Premier League uh, to to League One at the time, and I joined them in the Championship, and they wanted to. Uh, and when I signed, about four or five days in, I went to a supporters trust meeting, and uh, they were having a celebration because it was 
to the day five years where the or four years where the club had finished 91st out of 92 clubs and here they were competing in the championship with the owner who wanted to get them to the Premier League so that's that's what got us there um, and and you know maybe seven great years down there so what was the reaction from you know friends essentially within the club when they the see that picture you know does Bawley shout at you does Bawley sympathise I mean, uh, no I, 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 there wasn't there was a bit of banter about it there was, I've, I've got no doubts Kevin and people like Mickey were disappointed deep down because they had helped us settle in at the club and if there was any type of going to be any type of reaction they had smoothed that over for us so um, I would have thought and I would have thought a lot of the lads would have been even the lads who'd signed with me you know Kevin and Kevin Phillips Chris Megan or uh, Nicky Summerby probably I think in a strange sort of way they would have been disappointed by what had happened you know um, so, so you know whatever Whatever's come from it in the since, I have to accept uh, it was down to my, my ill judgment on the day. How did it feel watching Sunderland do so well when they came up? I mean, was that a sense of regret as well that you know you weren't with that team who nearly you know finished in the Champions League positions both years? And the, the oh, listen, yeah, of course. There's, there's always that thought: what might have been, what could have happened, and I've no doubt I, you know, would it would have complemented what they were doing in that in there. Um, but you can never look back. You, the only, the only, the thing that for me, when I look back, it's the it's the only sour part of my career because I've never really, I've been back to the stadium of late to watch a time and wear derby, and, and and I've got to say the the reaction overall was great. I was quite nervous going into the stadium to to, to and and around the stadium to find out what the reaction would be. Um, so, yeah, the course is regret because you, 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 you want people to to remember what I've done on the pitch, and that's all been taken away with one incident off the pitch, really. And do you also regret the fact that had it not been Sunderland, if the team was called something different, it wasn't based up here, would you have ever left? You know, if it we was to say Everton. You know, and it was the same team, and everything was the same. Would you have stayed if, if I was ridiculing Everton? No, mean? no. I, I mean, forget the the incident. Yeah. If Sunderland wasn't Sunderland, and you'd moved in '97 to say Everton, yeah, who were in the same position, would you have ever left? No. Be- would I have left because I was nervous about playing against Newcastle? Because I played, obviously, played against Newcastle. No, I, I mean, when I played for Fulham, was the club almost like? perfect in every sense to you other than the fact that it was the rival of Newcastle yeah and you would probably have wanted to have stayed if, if it wasn't for the fact I, w- I was enjoying my football I was enjoying my life I was I was playing for a manager that held us in high regard I was playing f- with teammates that had respect for us and I had respect for them I enjoyed playing with them I enjoyed being in that company uh, the fans were really positive with us um, so, yeah, of course, that's that goes without saying. We've had a few um, former players tell us sort of how they felt interviews they've done with the website. And Dickie Ord was complimentary. He said that you were a lovely lad, but you just had a nightmare with what had happened. He says there was no malice in it at all, but he was a he was a lovely lad, and he gave a hundred percent every time he went out. And Bawley sort of echoed that, and he said 
I knew Clarky very well by that point. Obviously, it was a disappointment, but it was also disappointment in the bloke that had done it to him. Nash, was a really good lad. If he'd came to the club and said, I support Sunderland now, I would probably never have trusted him for the rest of my life. He said he was a Newcastle fan and he wasn't going to change. I liked that. So, No, this and, and, and that's, that's, it's good to hear with, you know, people who feel cut the moment would be bleed red and white and uh, there was two lads to say that and that and that's the point I'm trying to get across it was it was never meant in that way it was obviously the word on the t-shirt it, it doesn't uh, isn't the greatest message to send but it, it was certainly wasn't my thoughts and what I was thinking you know whenever I was in this uh, playing for this club etc you know Okay, well, I think we're pretty much done with that now. You've finished off the grill for the, <laughs> the T-shirt, but I want to talk finally a little bit about your uh, managerial career. So you took the Huddersfield job in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were there for four years. Yes. Uh, leave, you left in February 2012, I believe. But you did a, a really good job there. I remember you went on a ridiculous unbeaten run, which I think was about 45 games. 43, it's the record. I beat Brian Clough's of 42. Yeah. So I've got a, I got presented with an award from the LMA for that. And... In professional sport to go through nearly a full campaign, especially in the AFL, which is 46 games, is a phenomenal achievement. There's there's people who try to detract from that and say there was a lot of draws in there, but we actually accumulated 96 points in those 43 games, which would win with any league yeah. with still three games to go. Um, and we built a club. We built a club with the backing of a brilliant owner, Dean Hoyle, who... Is a massive fan of Huddersfield Town, became very successful in his own business life and decided to put some of his wealth into the fo- his football club. And we decided that we wanted to build a young, hungry squad, but that had value. And we done that. We bought some terrific young players. We brought some terrific young players through the academy. And they, they made the club go be successful and also added value. And when they were, they not only done the job for the club on the pitch, when they were deemed that they needed to go or they'd grown, outgrown the club at the time, they got sold for, for substantial transfer fees. So, yeah, we um, it, was, it was a fantastic period. Was it much regret that you weren't able to get the side out of the division despite the fact every year you were generally the team everyone wanted to be? Yeah, because we obviously improved year on year. We got knocked out by a strong Millwall team and, and as I said, we were quite young in the playoff semi-final then we got to the final and the scoreline suggested it was a bit more one-sided than it was. It was a much tighter game. They scored the goals quite quickly. And then 3-0. Three, three nil. Three and nil. then uh, we we started then a bit like what happened at the time at Sunderland. We, we kicked on. We got over the disappointment and we were strong. We were th- third in the division. I think we had a game in hand on the two teams above us. And uh, when the owner decided to make the change, which was a bit surprising at the time. And then you went to Birmingham. Um, yeah, great opportunity for us at a big club. Massive expectation. Uh, great stadium, great training ground. People behind the scenes, owned by uh, a guy from Hong Kong, Carson Young. Who's now in prison. And within about a week of me accepting the job, he got put under house arrest. So all his assets were frozen. So we, we had a predicament on our hands. And uh, within a couple of months, I quickly realised and was told that um, we had to smash the not trim the wage bill smash it we had to take 60 to 75 percent of the wages off the bill somehow and we had 
some experienced players earning a lot a lot of money. And um, from the day I walked in the door to the day I walked out, we actually achieved 75% of the wage bill off. Um, we'd gone from £26 million wage bill to £5.6 million. So you took off from Chris Hughes? I did. You and took uh, them to the playoffs, I think? Yeah, and we, the, the expectation for us was to get beyond the playoffs in, in automatic, but when that starts happening and you have to start... And what we ended up having to do, because we couldn't offload the high earners at the football club, our assets were our young players. And I sold two of the brightest young players in British Redmond. football, uh, who would give their debuts to Jack Butland and Nathan Redmond, yeah. for minimal fees. We only, I think we got seven, eight million max for them, when we should have been hitting towards 20 million. But it was desperation stayed, and we had to, we had to raise some funds. But also at this time, it was still keep the club in the championship from the club's point of view. But from the fans' point of view, they were wanting a challenge for promotion. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't possible because, you know, ultimately um, we had a League One wage bill and we were keeping them in. And obviously we had that amazing date. Uh, it was the Reebok then, the Macron Stadium now, Reebok at Bolton where we waited till the 96 minute to get the equaliser through Paul Caddis to to keep us in the league and celebrate with 5,000 Brummies behind the goal and uh, and caused an incident when obviously I ran down the side of the pitch, which to this day my agent keeps saying, if I had been that quick when I played, I would have probably got the move to Barca he was looking for for us. So, um, no, that was a day of oh, relief. I mean, many people have said to us, oh, you must have partied late into the night after that. And in all honesty, I went out for a meal with my family and uh, had a glass of wine and hadn't even got through the start and asked if it was OK if we would go home because I was physically and mentally drained by what had gone on the lead up to the game. Knew how big it was. The pressure, talk about pressure on the game because it would have been Armageddon, I think, if if Birmingham at that time had went into League One with uh, their finances, how how they are. And um, we survived it. But it was always going to be hard because my recruitment the following summer was still along the lines of lads who played hadn't played a lot in the Championship uh, and, and, and and the budget being very similar. You know, as I said, bottom, bottom three in the Championship to League One. So, um, And then I think it was the end of October when, when I lost my job. Blackpool followed, and I remember at the time watching from afar, thinking, "Why is Lee Clark taking that job?" He's went from one to put a politely shit show at Birmingham, and he's joined an even worse shit show. Absolutely, and you know what? You need an ego to be a manager, and that was me ego had kicked in into overdrive. It was like I'll show Birmingham, etc. They had four points, I think, from fourteen games. Blackpool, and if I can get these out of this mess, you know, which I'd I'd I'd, I'd showed that I can get. I'll keep clubs in the championship on on on, on tough setups. If I could keep Blackpool in under this, and you just think it's a lack of confidence with the players. But I quickly realised that when I was in there, there was just so many facets of the club. You know, when I've talked about infrastructures and that about other clubs, this had this had nothing. It just had a a nice up to date modern stadium. The 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 stadium pitch was horrific. It was. Uh, I remember uh, it was like the, the beach. It was horrendous. That, yeah, it was the worst thing it ever been. Well, we used to get, it, after home games. You can we used to get complaints from the FA that the way clubs had complained about the state of the pitch. 
usually when uh, in the training ground, uh, Jimmy Armfield, God rest his soul, the legend at Blackpool, ex-England player, great man, used to come in to see us most days and would chat. And uh, he said that uh, the training ground hadn't changed from the 60s from when he'd played. So, And then there was the incident of the last game of the season when the, the game got abandoned after 70 minutes against Huddersfield when they invaded the pitch. There was... The home games weren't like home games because the fans had that much hatred towards the uh, ownership. Uh, it, it, it was a toxic atmosphere, really. And I should have I should have got out quicker. I, I was going to, and to this day, I've done it out of loyalty. Out of, In all the clubs I've been at, I've, I've brought young players through. I like to give young players a chance. And there was two young boys there, Dominic Telford and Mark Waddington, who I'd give a chance to. And I'd promised our families that no matter what, I would look after them. And I felt like halfway through the six months I had there, or seven months or however long it was, it would be unfair after I'd give their assurances that I would walk out. And then I waited till the end of the season before I quit. People think I quit because we went down. Nothing to do with that. They wanted me to stay, rebuild. I had been looking at players about rebuilding to get out back out of League One into the Championship and... I just felt no, it wasn't. It wasn't what I was in football for. I didn't wear. My family didn't feel comfortable coming to the games. Not that they were getting any kind of abuse. It was just because of the actual atmosphere yeah. around the stadiums. And I fully, I fully get why the fans were like that. You know, there, there was no me. Were I wasn't taking sides with anyone. And unfortunately, because I was appointed by the ownership, the, a lot of the fans seen me as as as, as one of them and didn't. It didn't work out in any way, shape or form. We had a little spell, October, November, where we beat Brighton, Birmingham and Millwall. And it gave us a little inkling. Birmingham, happy days. <laughs> yeah, it gave us a little inkling that we could do it. But then, you know, in the January window, uh, my door was like a revolving door. Players coming to see us, wanting to get out, just wanting to get out in any way. They were taking pay cuts, they were dropping down the league. It didn't, you know, and um, it was... It, it it was a tough period, tough period. And then you you went to Kilmarnock and you did a really good job there. Um, yeah, we took over. Sec- they were joint bottom, second bottom. They were on point, but joint bottom on the points, same points as Dundee United, who eventually went. And in Scotland, the, the one team goes down from the Scottish Premier League, and the team second bottom they play off the team that wins the playoffs from the Championship. So we'd accumulated enough points to knew that we're gonna. We're, going to get a second chance basically in the playoffs and we played Falkirk we played really well in the away leg gave away a horrible goal in injury time so we're 1-0 down and on the Friday and then on the Sunday in the second leg we just blew them away we were 4-3-0 up after 15 minutes we had a lot of power and pace in the team and and at the end of the game when I addressed the supporters with great support I, I promised them that that wouldn't be the case anymore and wouldn't be in that position and I built a squad I changed a lot of players. I built a squad, and uh, I left exactly to the day I arrived. One year, uh, Valentine's Day, um, I joined them. Valentine's Day, I left them, and um, we're in the top six in Scotland. And for a club at that time of Kilmarnock stature and 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 finances, um, for to be in the top six was was a great achievement. And then, me old assistant Lee McCulloch took over the. the he kept them in the top eight, so there was progress that finished. You know that there'd been a lot of progress that jumped four or five places the club, and then he just couldn't get them going. And when he took over permanently the following season, then but then Steve Clark come in and he's got them flying high again. 
And then you ended up going to Bury, Bury, Bury. Bury, Bury, which, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was another, the the, the first part of it was um, uh, come and save her again. They were second bottom in League One, 14 games to go. And uh, we went in and we'd done the job. We kept them in the league. Um, and then we rebuilt the squad and I was hoping to get them in the top six. It's a challenge to get promoted. We, we felt we built a good squad. And we had an up and down start of the season, but we still, even though the day I left, we still, I think, about seven points from the playoffs. We weren't where we wanted to be. We certainly wouldn't have went down, which ended up happening. They went through another two, well, three managers, give it to Ryan Lowe twice. But Ryan Lowe, Chris Lachetti, Ryan Lowe again. And uh, the, that season went from bad to worse. And you, you, you'll get what I'm saying here because one of your outstanding players this season was a player I took Chris in the Berry, <laughs> Chris Maguire. And the difference between Chris Maguire signing for Sunderland and Chris Maguire signing for Berry, um, we got Chris very, very late in the uh, summer window and Chris was without a club so he was basically training on his own. He wasn't doing football fitness and the lad was being diligent but he was just going in the gym and he wasn't football fit. He was, he, whenever he played for us, he'd make massive contributions, but we couldn't get him at a consistent level. Hughes got him, Sunderland got him, start of pre-season. Jack Ross had time to implement him into his group and implement the fitness. Chris has got a little bit of old school in him and, and how he works, but there was no doubt when I found out he was coming to Sunderland, this place would be made for him. He loves playing in big environments. Um he would he would love being in the stadium and like I got that one. And they got him early and they could work him and, and, and get him football fit ready for the season. And so it's no surprise to me when I'm hearing these reports. And and Chris himself said he, he didn't enjoy the his year at Berry. And I fully get that. I fully get that. It wasn't um it wasn't for what he was wanting to be. I I do and they never seen the best of him at Berry because um, they did in flashes there was some outstanding things that he'd done and we could see it every day on the training ground but I'm convinced we, it was because we got him at the wrong time of pre-season I flew up to Aberdeen with the owner to, to convince him right at the start he was one of my first targets but he had that many options because he's a good player at League One level he's a very very good player he had that many options he wanted to, to see what was out there and when he eventually decided to come to us I don't even think he played a pre-season game for us he went straight it was a, it was leading up to the league campaign and that's the reason I think that it, it, it didn't work out for, for him with with us and finally before I let you sign off uh, what do you make of Sunderland right now obviously good start of the season top two in league one uh, new ownership new everything at the club what, what have you made of the it's, it looks like it it's what was needed I'm, I was, I'm disappointed I wanted my big pal Chris Coleman to, to come in and do the job I know he had his hands tied behind his back when he came in um, I think all the managers over the last couple of years who've been in probably wish they had had this opportunity they were coming in when it was a clean slate but it wasn't to be I knew what the work Jack Ross had been doing from my time in Scotland he took over St Mirren when they weren't doing particularly well and he, he built that club up and, and got them into the Scottish Premier League uh, outstandingly because the Championship in Scotland's a very tough league. There's some clubs, there's five or six clubs in there who've been big big clubs in Scotland. So for him to, to, to get that uh, level of consistency, 
so you knew that as if the new ownership, like they were saying when they took over, were going to back the manager, uh, there'd be that opportunity. And I think what they've all done, they've brought the feel-good factor back to the club. I think the fans for too many years had just been in the doldrums. They, they had that little short spell under Sam where things got better and they thought there was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, but it didn't prove to be once Sam left. And it, for me, it's it it it's good that they've got ownership now that are taking care of the club. It was horrendous. I came, I went back to the stadium late to watch my sons in Newcastle United's academy and they played Sunderland at the stadium late. And I, it's one of the first times I'd come back and seen this stadium empty and seen the way it had been run down with the seats the way they'd gone. And it must have been horrendous for the fans to see that. To see that. So little things like that to get it looking lovely again and, and, and back to looking like a Premier League stadium, which it is. And I think it's brought the feel-good factor back with the fans. And I said all along, even at the start of the season, to, to people that no matter what league they were playing, if they, if they got on a good run, they'd have to think about reopening the top tier of the stadium again because the place would fill out. And I think that's proven to be the case and, and, and probably will be before the season finishes. So do you think for Sunderland this year, do you think promotion? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Um, I watched the game against Port Vale. I've got to say, I haven't seen a lot of that games this season, but I watched the, the full game against Port Vale in the Cup and I thought for the first 20 minutes they were outstanding. Took the foot off the gas a little bit in terms of nearly let Port Vale back into it, but that, that gave us a inkling of what they were going to be like. So I can imagine, obviously, working in League One, that with the players that the manager's brought in, the, the academy boys that he's brought through, with, they've got that identity with the club. They've got that link with the fans. I think, uh, I think come May there'll be uh, be celebrations on hand. Yeah, ready to get back in the championship. But I think with the new ownership, they'll not be satisfied with that. They'll be wanting to uh, kick the club back into the back into the Premier League because ultimately they don't have to then go and spend money on a on a new stadium or a new training ground because yeah. they've already got Premier League facilities. So all the money that they can make by getting those promotions and, 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 and new sponsorship and investment can be spent wisely on the squad. Hopefully snowball. Yeah, I don't know. I might go for a momentum. Double. Momentum's huge in football and especially when you've got the whole club pushing as one, which hopefully the, the first promotion to get the club back from League One. I'm not one of these northeast lads in any way that, you know, revels in other northeast clubs not doing well. I would love all three the big clubs in the area Middlesbrough Sunderland and Newcastle to be in the Premier League I think because the fans look forward to those games so much and anyway why, why do we not want them competing in the same league as long as it's the Premier League we don't yeah. want them competing in the Championship so let's get them all back in there and and, and enjoy those games and let other parts of the country have teams not competing in there I just want to thank you Lee for coming on because you easily could have turned us down and said no I'm not going to rehash them old stories I want to thank you for taking the time out and speaking to us thanks for giving us the opportunity to put my side of the story because there's been you know what the rumour mill's like uh, been many sides of it uh, <laughs> dished out there not all of it's been uh, exactly what happened and I'm sure there's still people who won't like you absolutely <laughs> absolutely. listen that's never going to change and unfortunately that's of me own doing but uh, you know as long as uh, they know the the, the the full story to and all that uh, they can make their own mind up yeah, so thanks for coming on um, and yeah thanks for Thank you. your time cheers
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra hydrating body care features two of Osea's best. Sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed powered heroes use skincare level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty free, and climate neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O S E A MALIBU.com, code GLOW.